You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Okay, here we are. So um, I, uh, my wife is out of town. I have the uh, five-year-old and three-year-old to myself this weekend. So the first 45 minutes of class, we're going to all pray for me. <laughs> Got 24 more hours. <laughs> no, we're, we're making it. Uh, let's pray. And Jesus, thanks for loving us. And thanks for dying for our sins. Um, thank you so much for the good news of your gospel, that it's true and that it's for us. And pray, God, that we would um, love and appreciate and worship you more as a result of it. Um, I pray that you would change us into people who are more kind, patient, and compassionate as a result of it. And I pray um, pray that you would bless us with the ability to communicate and to demonstrate your gospel. Um, trust you, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So um, we are in the midst of like a six-week series. We started last week. We talked about uh, what we're talking about is five foundations of forming Christian kids. Um, last week was kind of the overview of the, the kind of the five, uh, the five principles that we kind of build our ministry to children, youth, and family based on. Um, these principles are based mainly on a biblical theology, but also on research. And what you find is what the Bible says to do in terms of forming kids who have lasting faith actually tends to be the most effective way to minister to them. It's amazing. Um, you'd almost think that God wrote the Bible, right? Crazy. Um, but anyhow, so, um, so with that being said, the five foundations that we kind of base our ministry to kids on uh, are gospel centrality, number one, theological depth through biblical teaching, relational discipleship, partnering with parents, and intergenerational integration. And so today I'm going to talk about the first principle, which is gospel centrality. Um, this is the uh, flag that I wave. This is the drum that I beat. Um, uh, yeah, this is my jam. Like, this is why I'm in my 14th year of youth ministry, is the gospel of grace for kids. Um, start off here, and this is uh, Kara Powell. She's one of the leading experts on the spiritual lives of young people. She's at uh, Fuller Youth Institute. I think she got her PhD from Stanford. She's not dumb. Um, so uh, Kara, the uh, Fuller Youth Institute, has done this long-term, um, this long-term study on uh, kids who stick with Christ in the church. And that's our, that's our mission. Like what we, you know, if you want to boil it down to a very quick slogan, like our mission with the kids in our church is to make disciples. What does that mean in kind of more practical terms? It means to form kids who have a lasting faith in Christ. Um, a lot of the reason there's a lot of, the, the, part of the reason that there's a lot of research on uh, sustainable faith of kids is because they found around the turn of the century that 70% of kids that are raised in the church do not return to church after high school. Only a 30% success rate. Uh, some denominations as low as 12% success rate. Um, so with that being said, the way that churches have ministered to kids historically in the last 50 to 70 years has been a total failure. Um, and so with that being said, one of the studies and one of the, the main houses for research on you know, why is this happening and, and what actually works uh, is Fuller, Fuller uh, <coughs> Theological Seminary, which actually um, our new communications director, Krista Cordova, uh, has an MDiv from Fuller. Um, but anyhow, so with that being said, uh, Kara Powell, who's the head of this whole study out there with a man named Chap Clark, 
she was asked um, by Christianity Today in the November 2014 interview, all the research you've looked at, all the variables, all the factors, if you could boil it down to one indicator, what is the most important indicator of whether a kid will stick with Christ or not after high school? Her response was, it's not easy to distill years of research into one single variable, but if I had to, I'd start with young people's views of the gospel. Uh, they found that the most significant indicator on in whether a kid will be a church-attending Christian as an adult is the clarity they have in defining Christianity uh, and the gospel based on grace. If a child defines the gospel as being a good person for God or in terms of you know, our moral performance, then that child is very unlikely to be a church-attending Christian. Um, if a child understands Christianity as God's love for sinners through Christ, uh, then the likelihood that they'll be a church-attending Christian is pretty high. Um, we all know that there's no formula. We all know that, you know, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's between a child and God, right? Um, in terms of whether they're going to follow Jesus or not and be a church-attending Christian. Um, but it does, it, is, it, it, it does make sense, if you think about it theologically, that the most significant factor um, in whether or not a kid is going to, um, stick with Christ in the church after high school is do they understand the basic message of Christianity as God's love and compassion for sinful people through the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, we're going to talk about um, why it is um, that the gospel is the most significant thing um, for a kid to understand and know. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about practically how we go about um, uh, really instilling that in our kids to understand the message of grace. So first, um, you know what? We use the word gospel a lot. Uh, and I think it can be really dangerous to use it without defining it. Um, because a lot of times uh, as we, I mean, you um, you find it, um, well, I'll tell you all a story. Uh, so we uh, had a Bible study for several years. And we had studied like, the classics. We studied the book of Romans, we studied John, we studied Paul's letters. And last day of Bible study, I said to the kids, I was like, hey, y'all tell me, what's the gospel? <laughs> Not a single kid could answer the question. Yeah. And I was just like, and I just flushed three years down the toilet. <laughs> um, that's not true. I mean, I think I think press, like, you know, when I started to press them, they knew more. But, um, but anyhow, we just can't assume that people know what we're talking about. Uh, someone um, not too long ago was griping about uh, something related to um, something related to the cups that we use in the church, and um, uh, and they were saying like we've fallen away from the gospel. It's like, excuse me, wait, home, wait, and it's like the cups and the gospel like make bridge that gap for me. And it was very clear they had no idea what the gospel is. Um, and that's really that's really dangerous because the gospel is the thing that brings us out of our sin, out from the wrath of God into relationship with with God, right? And so anyhow, so with that being said, um, gospel. I want to just give you a little bit of a, a quick definition of what we're talking about with the gospel because it's not you, the gospel message is somewhat easy to nail down, but what we're talking about is a little bit bigger, uh, a little bit bigger than that. So John Stott, um, he had these categories of the gospel. I have adapted these a little bit. But um, he talks about gospel events, gospel witnesses, um, gospel message, that's kind of my terminology, gospel affirmations or essay benefits, and then gospel imperatives. Um, and so basically first, with gospel events, what we're talking about is we're talking about the Christ event. 
which is the coming of Jesus, the coming and the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus. So life, death, and, re- life, death, and the resurrection. We'll just say that. And so like in, in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, um, Paul you know, defines the gospel um, by saying... Um, by saying, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So he's talking about the message of the gospel here, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So he's talking about the gospel here in terms of the events of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so then we have uh, the gospel witnesses. All right, now these are the people who actually witnessed the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is actually from first, this is also from first Corinthians, first Corinthians chapter 15. Um, Paul goes on to say, for I delivered... No, that's not the correct thing. Next sheet. (laughs) Okay, so he now is talking about Jesus and his resurrection. He says that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. So here's the thing. We have the... um, we have the gospel events. It's important to know the gospel events because, you know, when we talk about what's the message of the gospel, like God's love for sinners through Christ, well, there, there's got to be some substance behind that message. And the substance behind that message is the life and the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Christ. That's the substance. That's what makes this message real. That's what makes it true. And then the gospel witnesses are really important because the gospel witnesses affirm to us that, well, those events, they actually happened. Like, Jesus did actually live. Jesus did actually die for my sins. And he did actually rise from the dead. So that gives us the confidence that this message is true. Well, then we have the gospel message. And um, the gospel message, you know, I've said over and over again, the gospel message is God's love for sinners through Christ. Um, But here's the gospel message, you know, straight from the Bible. Um, uh, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So you can see there, um, you know, God's love. For sinners, that you know, the path from death to eternal life through faith in Christ. So, salvation by grace alone, um, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Uh, Romans 6:23. For the wages of sin are death, uh, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. See it there. And then finally, Ephesians 2:4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So basically, you know, the basic message that we want kids to get is that they are sinners who cannot save themselves. Their only hope is to be saved she wasn't bothering me. She's hungry. Got other issues. Okay, <laughs> got it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hashtag blowout. <No. laughs> Always on Sunday morning, right? Always on Sunday morning. Okay. Oh man, I'm so glad to be out of the blowout phase. Oh God, bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Um, we still got a diet. We st- I still have one in diapers. When in 2020, I've gone 10 consecutive years without a single day without a child in diapers. <laughs> yes, shareholder in uh, Huggies. Um, so anyhow, so basically, what we want kids to understand is that they are a sinner 
who needs who needs the grace and forgiveness of God, but they cannot access that except through Christ. Like Christ's life, death, and resurrection has afforded them this love, this generosity, this kindness, this relationship that God offers to them. So that's the basic message. I'm not going to get into gospel benefits or, or imperatives. Um, that's uh, sometimes you make your lesson, you're like, oh, this is too much. So let's move on. Um, so the gospel error. All right, so now um, we've talked about what the message is. What I want to kind of communicate now is how much the church has failed to deliver the gospel to kids. Like this is the failure of the American church as it pertains to young people of the last 50 years. This is a failure of the gospel. And so what we'll talk about here for a second is I'll show you a little bit of the research to, find, to, to, to demonstrate how kids historically the Christianity that they have been presented um, is so devoid of the message of grace. It is so devoid of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and its implications. Um, so to start, this will this will depress you. Get ready. Um, it'll also make you want to stay in our church. Anyhow, um, so uh, the gospel error. So this is a quote from a man named Jerry Bridges. Uh, this is from the book Transforming Grace. Anybody ever read that book before? Heard of that book? Oh man, it's gold. It's really, really good. Um, but this is this is from the introduction. This is one of the main main quotes. He says uh, he's talking about how the error in American Christianity, and it's, it's like even worse when it comes to kids, is that we talk about the gospel for non-Christians. Like, hey, you don't have a relationship with God. Like, you haven't you know accepted God's forgiveness of sins hey, this is the gospel, like, Jesus died for your sins, now put your faith in him, not in yourself, and you'll be saved for heaven, right? And then it's like, after that, the gospel now has no relevance to a Christian. Uh, It goes a dynamic of trust Jesus for salvation, but for your sanctification, for the Christian life, for the rest of your life, try, from trust to try. And so it's like this shift in dynamic. Um, that we've seen where it's like grace for you. Now you're a Christian. Now try perform. Um, and so, you know, as if like, okay, now that you're a believer, now all you need to know is the rules. Now all you need to be told is, you know, as we said with kids, the, you know, the Holy Trinity of, of historic youth ministry, don't drink, uh, don't chew, don't date girls that do. No. Um, but, um, but anyhow, so basically, yeah, it just there's this shift after you become a believer into just straight up moralism and performance-based, um, performance-based, not even really Christianity. So here's what Jerry, Jerry Bridges says to, to capture that. He says, we are saved by grace, but we are still living by the sweat of our own performance. We seem to believe success in the Christian life, however we define success, is basically up to us, our commitment, our discipline, and our zeal, with some help from God along the way. We give lip service to the attitude of the Apostle Paul, but by grace of by the grace of God I am what I am. But our out our unspoken motto is God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible, by the way. That's completely contradictory to the Christian gospel. And so this is kind of this is this very much describes um, the way that we have ministered to kids historically. We explain to them the gospel purely to get out of hell and to get into heaven. And then the good news is kind of like, okay, that's, you know, that's, we talk about the gospel as the ABCs 
uh, rather than the A to Z of Christianity. That's how Tim Keller describes it. So um, what, you'll, what we find here is that the research on, uh, that has been done to look at this, the religious views of church-attending kids shows that this is completely true. That you know, salvation is by grace, but everything else is by your performance. And so, um, you know, one of the studies that I talked about a lot last week was the National Study on Youth and Religion, um, and it was a massive national study done uh, through UNC Chapel Hill and Oxford in England. The main guy who did it was Christian Smith, and um, and so they looked at what kids believed. And they found that the reigning theology of American kids who had gone you know, through church and through youth group was moralistic, therapeutic deism. Um, their understanding of Christianity was that, um, first, that it's a set of rules. It's moralism. It's just be a good person. Secondly, therapeutic, they understood Christianity. It was primarily, the primary function of it was for their own self-esteem and for um, their own personal happiness. Like the concept of that this is about God's glory or that you were born for the kingdom of God or you know to love your neighbor, like not, not, in, not in their framework, 100% about me. Uh, and then finally, deistic, their view of God uh, was that God is distant. Um, he's like a uh, 911 service. Um, if you have an emergency, you can call him and they'll come. But in terms of you know, your fire department is not like interested in your boyfriend struggles or your anxiety about the ACT or... Um, you know, coping with your parents' divorce. Like, it's only if the house is on fire. And so that's their view of God. And so um, in, this, um, in this study, they um, interviewed 267 kids, and they did 30-minute interviews, and they just said, hey, tell us your religious beliefs. Tell us, you know, what you believe spiritually. And so in the study, they did word counts to see how many times certain words were used um, in those kids' interviews. And um, in those interviews, um, the word, w- words related to the gospel, the word justification was not mentioned one time. I understand that. Keep in mind that this is 135 hours of, of like interviews. All right, it's a lot, a lot of words. Um, the word um, grace was used three times in you know, 133 hours. Uh, it was used six times in reference to the uh, television show Will and Grace. So the term, the, the theological term grace, like God's unmerited love for sinners, used three times in 133 hours. Uh, the word Will and you know, Grace used in terms of the TV show Will and Grace, which isn't even really that prominent a show, right? Um, used six times. Um, in this study, the word gospel was not used a single time. In 133 hours, when asked, "Tell us, tell us about what Christianity is. Tell us about your religious beliefs." Okay, and so you can just get a sense that, like, you know, this basic message that you see running throughout the Bible, cult, you know, culminating in in, in Jesus Christ, uh, that is the thrust of the New Testament, completely absent from the kids, you know, personal theology, their own descriptions of what Christianity is about. Another study, uh, the Sticky Face study. Um, by the Fuller Youth Institute, uh, they um, they described the kind of theology of kids as the Jesus jacket. So they understood Christianity as a set of ru- ru- a set of behaviors that you put on in certain contexts. But then, like you know, down the road, you just take the jacket off. But again, purely a moralistic view of um, of Christianity, just a set of rules and behaviors. 
And this makes sense. Like I, I talked about this a lot last week, but if you grew up in a youth ministry, um, and and maybe even in a children's chapel, and or not children's chapel, but children's ministry in a lot of churches, really all you were all that they ever talked about was moral behaviors. Um, thank you for shaking your head over there. Yeah, it was all about don't have premarital sex. I mean, I'm not kidding you. I heard that message t- at least twice a month. I mean, it was like above all things, do not get anyone pregnant. Um, do not drink. Do not drink. Be nice. Do not cuss. And that was it. I mean, that was it every single week. I, I have like vivid memories of going to a parachurch ministry and the guy just bastardizing um, Re- Revelation chapter 3 uh, where it says, you know, you're neither hot nor cold. If you're lukewarm, I will spit you out. And that, that was to a church, you know, it was to a a, 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 a oh gosh, the church at Laodicea. Oh, which church is it? I'm not sure. Sorry. Um, but but regarding, that was to a church. But then taking it and, and like saying that to us, like if you're if you're lukewarm, like God will spit you out. You know, just kind of this like threatening, shame-based, fear-driven um, version of Christianity that's not reflective of the Bible. And so anyhow, so that being said, on, in the study, um, they found that 35% of kids, when asked to define the gospel, didn't mention the word Jesus, and that a significant number, they didn't give a statistic, but they said a significant number of kids, when asked to define the gospel, which we have said is all about what Jesus has done for us, right? It's God's love for us regardless of our performance. They define the gospel as just be a good person for God. Like that to them was the good news of Jesus Christ is be a good person for God. Look, man, doesn't matter if you're atheist or agnostic, doesn't matter where you are spiritually, like that's everyone, everyone kind of has some sense you're supposed to be a good person, right? Like Jesus didn't come to the earth and die on a cross to, to communicate to us, like be more moral. I just, that's not, that's not what we see in the Bible. Um, so anyhow, um, so, uh, and we all kind of know this, but if like, all Jesus is to you, if all Christianity is to you, is a set of rules, then it is not going to last. It's not going to last. <laughs> like, no matter who you are, everyone is going to have some kind of moral failure along the way. Everyone, whether it's, you know, whether it's, you know, something like you shared a secret that you weren't supposed to share and your friend caught out, you, you know, caught you and you've had a broken friendship, or you're like dealing crack. Like, everyone's going to have a moral failure. Everyone's going to have a moment where they feel like I'm the worst person in the whole world, right? Everyone has their, you know, deep, dark secret. Lots and lots of people have addictions. Lots and lots of people do stuff on computers that they don't want anyone to find out about. And and if, if all Christianity is, <clears throat> excuse me, all Christianity is, is a set of rules, then Jesus has no help for you. Your faith ha- is of no resource to you in your moral failure. Like everyone, most people are going to have a burnout in their life where they, you know, just whether it's as a young mother or it's in a new job or it's in college, whatever it is, everyone's going to have a burnout. And if you do not know that God is a well of mercy, that Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You're not going to turn to Jesus. You're not going to turn to God. You're not going to resort to your faith. And so um, this is what Chap Clark says. Uh, along those lines. And this was kind of what they found in the research to kind of be true of kids who, a lot of kids who had walked away from the faith. He said, a performance-based Christianity can last only so long. When kids reach the awareness, when kids reach the awareness through failure or pain, 
or insecurity or inner wrestling with who is the owner of their faith, that they do not have the power or the interest to keep the faith treadmill going, they will put their faith aside. So I would say I grew up on a faith treadmill, uh, and, I, and I burned out big time. And that's when I found the gospel of grace, and this is that's why I, I'm just like, oh, I want people to know the gospel of grace as early as possible, because my life is qualitatively so much better that I know that Christianity is not uh, a performance treadmill, but instead is actually a relationship with God uh, who loves me apart from my performance, who loves me like no one else in the world can, uh, and who's always with me. And so, and so we want that for our kids. And so here's now getting to kind of the, the big point um, of this talk is uh, we need to know that the gospel is for Christians. The gospel is for Christians. So you may have a child who is a Christian. What is the most important thing in terms of their growth and maturation as a believer? It's that they deepen in the gospel. Like the thing that we started with is the thing that continues to deepen us all along the way. And you see that um, you see that play out. Man, it is so hot in this church. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm pregnant for crying out loud. I don't know. <laughs> Something is going on here, but uh, no, maybe that explains it. Uh, anyhow, so um, so here's this. Um, this is Colossians chapter two, and so you know all these verses that I shared um, from Paul about you know the gospel message, you know Romans six thirteen, you know the wage of sin or death, but the, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, and um, all these classics, you know from the uh, from the letters in the Bible. Um, these are all letters to Christians. Okay, like Roman uh, Ephesians chapter two, where it talks about by grace you have been saved. He is writing that letter to Christians. He's not writing that to non-Christians. He's writing it to Christians. First um, John. I mean, some. Um, oh, I just if my wife were in town, I'd be able to say it off the top of my head. So one nine. Um, oh, it's just not there. Oh well. Um, y'all can see that Big C's running on empty here. <laughs> but anyhow, but anyhow, all of these classic verses that we, uh, you know, that we say in our worship services with the comfortable words and things like that, they're all from letters in the Bible that are written to Christians. Okay. So here's Colossians chapter two, and he's writing to the church at Colossae, and they have kind of fallen into this moralistic understanding of the faith. And he is saying, no, like, no, no, no. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. So listen, he says, in the same way that you received Jesus, which was, you know, as a sinner, by grace, through faith in Christ, so continue to walk in him. So continue to live out the Christian life. So continue to grow in your relationship with Christ. Like, how does it start? It starts for us being weak, us being needy, and us admitting our need for God's grace, right? And, and when we, we receive God's grace and we accept Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, and, and we now are depending on Jesus, right? That's how it starts. Well, that's how it continues, you know? Uh, your kid gets up in the morning and they've got five tests today and they're overwhelmed. You know, what is the way to walk faithfully? Well, it's to say, I am a high school student. I have five tests today. I cannot handle this on my own. I need the grace of God through Jesus Christ to help me. Like that's the gospel dynamic that we're hoping to uh, instill in our kids. 
That we want that to be the foundation of life. We'll say to them a lot. We really do hope that we grow morally. Mike, I, I, I would really like to not have such a bad temper when I watch college football. That hasn't happened yet for me. I'd like to have better self-control when someone cuts me off on 280. That definitely has not happened for me. Um, but there may be some way, there are definitely some ways that I've changed over the last, you know, uh, 30 years as a Christian. Um, but we say to kids, look, the true mark of Christian maturity is that you depend on Jesus more. Uh, as you grow in the gospel, you know how great and generous and gracious God is, and you know how needy you are. And so as a result of that, you depend on him more and more and more. More parts of your life are handed over to Jesus. You trust him with more issues. You trust him with more of the different categories of your life. And so that's deepening in the gospel. And so that is effectively what Paul is saying here, is as you receive Christ in weakness, depending on Jesus, so walk in him, so continue in that dynamic. Um, and so that is why, th- that this is kind of part of Paul's way of saying it started with trust, it continues with trust. It started with a relationship, it continues with a relationship. Um, this is tied to Titus chapter 2. I want you to notice here how Paul is going to be laying down lots of moral directives. He is going to be um, telling them to do a lot of things. But notice how he intersperses the gospel throughout it. How he is constantly going back to um, benefits of the gospel. So he's not necessarily just saying that that basic gospel message of God's love for sinners through Christ, but we talk about gospel benefits. Those are things that are uh, a result, that are additional benefits and promises that come uh, through our relationship with Christ, like that we're adopted as a son or daughter of God, or we're, in, we're one with Christ, union with Christ, or that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, or that we're regenerated, like our sins are forgiven, they're washed away, or that we have the hope of heaven. Okay, notice all the benefits of the gospel he returns to. He says, um, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So he's talking about, he's, he's giving them these, this, these directives, right? Be submissive to authorities, don't slander anybody. And then he goes back and says, hey, remember our sin. Uh, remember what we were like. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so he's going back to the basic gospel. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the eternal hope of eternal life. He's remembering our glorification. This is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these things so that you, those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. And he goes on, and he continues to give out moral directives. Like, listen, I think a lot of times when people hear what we need to do is we need to bathe our kids in grace, they hear like, oh, that means that, you know, what you're saying is that we don't want to make moral kids. No, we absolutely want to make moral kids, but we believe that it's God's grace and it's them trusting Jesus with their life, them growing an intimate relationship with Jesus, we believe it's the gospel that will catalyze that morality. We believe that's what the Bible says. Moral education does not make us more moral. (laughs) It just doesn't. 
what makes us moral, more moral, is God. Like God himself working through the Holy Spirit, through his grace, that is what changes us into people who are kinder, who are more humble, who are more compassionate, uh, and who are more eager and motivated to comply with God's law. Uh, and so that's why we say double down on the gospel. Um, and it's not just what we think. We see that this is the way that morality is instructed in the Bible, is through the gospel. How did the Ten Commandments begin? They begin by God reminding them, I am the God who led you out of Egypt. He reminds them of their redemption and their salvation, and then he drops into the Ten Commandments. It starts with the gospel. Um, so, that being said, do I have time for this? Hmm. I bring this chart out all the time. You've probably seen it before. I call this the God-centered life. And so basically, it's a little bit of an explanation of why the gospel is the thing that leads us into trust. Um, it basically, in a nutshell, um, the, do I need to get into this? Uh, basically, we have a false view of ourself, um, and we need to remember that we're sinners who need God. We also need to remember that we're very valuable to God. Um, we have a false view of God, naturally. That's part of our sinful DNA. We need to remember that God is perfectly holy and just, and that God is loving, kind, merciful, and forgiving. And when we live in the truth of who we are and who God is, that inherently leads us to trust God. It tells us that we cannot make life on our own, and it tells us that uh, not only is God willing, but he is eager um, to help us. He's eager to be with us. He adores us. He cherishes us. He rejoices over us with singing, as it says in Zephaniah. Um, and so that will lead us into a life where we submit to God and we praise God and we thank God and we ask and we pray and we repent and so on and so forth. And we see, anyhow, you get the point. Sorry, that was a, a, just an a insulting, uh, insulting approach to my own diagram. But, um, <laughs> but anyhow, I'm okay with that. All right, so here's the last thing I want to talk about. Talk practical about how do we, as uh, families, how do we... Um, <coughs> communicate the gospel to our kids. Like, how do we, how if nothing else, and I say whether they believe it or not, if nothing else, I want our kids uh, to leave our house and to leave our church knowing the basic message of Christianity, God's love for sinners through Christ. And so um, what you have here, this, these are what I call gospel catechisms um, that we made up. Uh, and there are, so there are several different versions of them. Um, the first is gospel catechism for small children. Um, I, uh, I do this when I drive my kids to school in the morning. I ask them the first set of questions, even my little three-year-old, uh, bless his sweet little heart. Um, and he will give me the answers and sometimes I can discern what he's saying. I, he definitely doesn't know what they mean. Um, but we'll trust the Holy Spirit for that part. But anyhow, so the first question I ask is say, hey guys, what does good news mean? I'm uh, sorry, what does gospel mean? And they say, good news. What's the good news? Jesus died for my sins. Um, what, um, who loves you the most? God. Who loves you the second most? Mommy and Daddy. What can you do by God's power and grace? Hard things. And so what I'm trying to help them first off to know is that the gospel, like the message of Christianity, it's good news. It's really good news. And the good news is based in Jesus, his, his death for our sins. Um, and I also, and by the way, I strongly recommend questions three and four get you off the hook. No. Um, what I want them to know is that, um, I'll, I, I do this. I do this when I like put them in their cribs and put them down to sleep. I'll say, um, uh, you know, you know, mommy and daddy love you so much, right? But who loves you more than mommy and daddy? Jesus, right? We want them to know that like there's no one in the world who can love them like Jesus. 
Like that ship sailed uh, back in the Garden of Eden. Um, you know, yes, we're parents and we want to love them unconditionally. But uh, let me tell you, like, I, as the man who has been riding solo all weekend, like, that is not, that has not been happening all weekend, you know? <laughs> Daddy just may have lost his temper a time or 12. Um, so anyhow, I, you know, I want, I want them to know that that need they have for unconditional love, like, it's only going to be found in Jesus. I want them to put their faith there. Definitely not here. Um, so anyhow, so that's a gospel catechism for small children. Something you can say to them, at dinner time, it's something you can say when you drop them off for school. It's something you can say to them uh, when you're putting them down for bed at night. Um, and I love the last question, um, what can you do by God's power and grace? Hard things. Because basically what we're saying there is like, hey, in your life, like who can you turn to when you are struggling? Like who do you turn to in, all, in, in tough things? You turn to God. You turn to his power and his grace. Um, okay, gospel, catechism. Oh, I just totally goofed this. Sorry, guys. This is meant to be gospel catechism for, like, teenagers, not small children. My bad. See? But there's grace for me, right? <laughs> grace for the guy who has absolutely, who's such a flake. Um, <laughs> yeah, I did. I sure did. Um, I was just so proud of myself. I'd fed him a vegetable and everything yesterday, <laughs> and everyone was alive. I've never made a salad before. No. Um, anyhow, and here I am. Y'all are getting the fallout um, from, from my efforts of chopping up uh, uh, cucumbers. Okay, uh, gospel catechism for teenagers. We say this at the beginning of every single Bible study with children from seventh grade all the way from the senior year. Ask the same questions. What is, what is the gospel mean? Good news. What's the good news? Jesus died for my sins. We add this part so that I can be in relationship with God. Um, that's too much for a small kid, but for a teenager, they can, they can get that phrase. Um, and then we say... Um, uh, what's the good news for the world? Um, Christ is king. And then what is grace? God's undeserved or unconditional love for sinners. We accept either answer. No, um, but yeah, and so that's, that is something we do at the beginning of every Bible study. You can continue. I, you know, I'm, I've never parented teenagers. So you, I'll, I'll trust you guys to figure out where you can incorporate that. But it's just a way that you can kind of continue to put that in the forefront of their heart and their mind. And then finally, gospel identity catechism. This is something that we did last year. And um, we, we, this was like our theme for uh, high school and junior high last year was gospel identity. And um, I think this one is money for, a, um, money for high school kids. This is something you can text to them. We actually have the images for these questions on our website. So you can actually like send them the image of it. But anyhow, what is the spirit, who does the spirit say you are? Because you think you keep in mind how big an issue identity is for a teenager. You know, that's just developmentally, it's all about who am I and those kind of questions. Well, who does God say you are, right? Who does the Spirit say you are? It says that you're one who is washed and clean. Who does Jesus say you are? You're one who's forgiven and righteous. Who does the Father say you are? One who's an adopted child of God. Who are you? I'm a sinner saved by grace. All right? And so, um, anyhow, we find that our kids, just our students, love to hear this. They love to be reminded of this. And so... Um, uh, so I really run out of time, and I wish I had more applications. Um, here, um, last thing I'll say, uh, two quick little applications. Um, first off, I think probably one of the best ways to share the gospel with your kids is to apologize to them. To apologize to your kid when you um, when you mess up, when you lose your temper, uh, when you are you know talking in a way that's just not you know becoming of a believer. Um, to say to your kids, like, hey, I want to tell you, I apologize for that. Like, that was wrong. And I want you to know that, like, daddy is a sinner who needs God's grace every day. 
Um, that is that is a powerful way to share the gospel with your kids. It's also a way to guard yourself about being seen from being seen as a hypocrite by your children. Um, that you have the humility to know that, hey, I'm a sinner. I need God's grace to you. And then a final thing is whenever you have to discipline your kids, um, which uh, in my phase of life is a lot, um, you know, always you always want to say, like, Daddy does this because he loves you. And, and, um, and God disciplines us too because he loves us. And God loves and accepts us no matter what we do. So that, that is a, always with discipline, you want to just kind of proclaim the gospel if you can. Um, so anyhow, so sorry. That was a fire hose, a lot of stuff. And, and it's uh, uh, 10 52. If anybody wants to hang around afterwards and chitty chat, I'm here. Um, but uh, let me pray for us. Uh, Jesus, I pray that we would all be people who are transformed by your grace. Uh, I pray, God, you know, it's one thing to know it, God. It's another thing to believe and experience it. Uh, we can't effectuate that. So please, for each one of us in this room and for our children, I pray that we would really experience and believe how much you truly do love us uh, and how free we are um, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.